Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? And so adaptive capacity is our ability in changing circumstances when things aren't going so great, when unusual or unexpected things happen to us, that we've got space to be able to stop and go, okay, what's the right thing for me to do right now? Donna McGeorge makes work work. As Australia's most sought-after productivity expert, she is passionate about enhancing the time we spend at work to ensure it is effective, productive and enjoyable. For over 20 years, Donna has worked with managers and leaders throughout Australia and Asia Pacific for an impressive list of clients. Donna is the author of several books and her latest, The One Day Refund, is the third in a productivity series joining the 25-minute meeting and the first two hours. The One Day Refund demystifies the science behind productivity using Donna's decades of experience to share practical strategies to create 15% more capacity in your life, equivalent to getting back, say, one day a week. I bloody love the sound of that, let me tell you. Donna is straight-talking and practical, my kind of gal, so I'm very much looking forward to picking her brain on some top tips to help make me a little bit more productive in my life so I can do more of the things that I desire. Donna, it is fabulous to have you here on the podcast today. Welcome to One Question. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm really excited to be here. Wonderful. So if there is one thing you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I wish we would talk more about adaptive capacity. Adaptive capacity. I'm not sure I've ever heard that term. Uh, So can you please explain? (laughs) I have no idea what that means. So uh, it sounds really interesting though. Well, I can give you the the very long history version. So a lot of people think that Charles Darwin, he's mostly quoted as saying survival of the fittest. What he was actually saying was, Species that is the most adaptive to change is the one that would survive best. And so adaptive capacity is our ability in changing circumstances when things aren't going so great, when unusual or unexpected things happen to us, that we've got space to be able to stop and go, okay, what's the right thing for me to do right now? As opposed to many of us, something happens and we just, we haven't got any space to think or any space to breathe and we just have to react really quickly. So give me some examples then of, of some good sort of adaptive capacity, what like people that do it well or people that don't do it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I watched a lot of it during COVID. So the word pivot, I know that's the last time I'll use it. We saw a lot of people, you know, make great changes. The ones that were, I think, I, I paid attention to the ones who were able to come out of COVID in better shape than they were when they went in. One great example is, now I'm just going to struggle to remember the company name right now, but they were doing big stage kings. So in Victoria, around around the time that the first lockdown started to happen and COVID was happening, was around when the Grand Prix was on. And it made big news because they shut down the Grand Prix. Well, Stage Kings was one of the big companies that had heaps of time, money and resources invested in that. They do the, you know, the big shows and stuff like that. So like everyone, everyone's just business just stopped and ground to a halt. 
But they had the capacity, both the smarts in the business, a bit of financial money in the bank, and then they looked around their facility and went, what do we think people are going to need and what have we got? And they started making work from home desks. They had all the stuff to make work from home desks. And they ended up going into it with about 20 employees and coming out of it with about 65 and making more money than they thought possible. So great story there. But I also look at individual people who went into COVID and people like me run my own business. I'm a speaker. I'm a facilitator. For the first couple of months of COVID, no one wanted any of that because we couldn't figure out how to do it online. But now people who have, who have come out and there's lots of people, not just me, but lots of people who have come out and gone, I'm doing better now because of what happened there. I've learned some technologies. I've adapted my clients. I've adapted my delivery. I've adapted my products. And now I've got a broader audience and even international audience now. So lots of things like that. Yeah, really great examples. But so why is it you think it's so important, I guess, as you know, having adaptive capacity and as sort of anyone listening that if they don't have their own business or like, how do you, how do you get it? You know, is it something you believe you learn or, you know, is there ways in which you can get those sort of traits or whatever? Like what? You can have it right now if you want. (laughs) It's not that hard. I don't think it's that hard. It requires a bit of discipline, but I don't reckon it's that hard. But it must be a mind shift though, right? Well, the mind shift is that I need it. The question I would ask is if you're the sort of person that's constantly running around from pillar to post, if you never feel like you have any downtime, if you're constantly exhausted, if even on weekends, basically you've got nothing left in the tank, I always think about if you're overwhelmed, out of control and at risk of failing at the important things, then you could probably use a bit of adaptive capacity or just some capacity, let alone adaptive capacity. There's a magic number, which I think is 15%. And so if you're listening now and you work in an organisation, I'd want you to have a look at your diary. And if your diary is just back-to-back meetings all day, every day, then you have zero adaptive capacity. And if you're in a business, if you're working in an organisation or a a CEO or anything like that, you have to have it. You do not want to be the person that is too busy to work with. So, you know, I remember when I first started out in my business, it was a bit like a badge of honour. You know, I'm booked out for the next six months, right? And someone would come to me and say, hey, I've got this amazing project and I would not have time to do that project and they didn't want to wait six months. And it's the same in business. You don't want to be the manager that no one can get into your diary for six to eight weeks and even when they do, it's all triple booked and you cancel at the last minute. So this is about having 15% capacity built into your diary, which is about 1.2 hours a day. And this is not lunch. This is just an hour that you have-ish that you have for yourself. It's to give you that feeling every day of what it's like when a meeting gets cancelled. So, you know, someone cancels a meeting and you go, oh, (laughs) that's so great. I need that. I've just got an hour back. I've just got a whole hour to myself. That's why I called my latest book the One Day Refund because we're taking back time. So I say book an hour for yourself that is in your diary that you can look forward to every day so you don't have to be at the mercy of someone cancelling. Now, I've got a few people I coach who also then say they actually block six hours a week out. And it's, it's not that you're goofing off. You're just not having meetings. It's that, it's that time for you to play catch-ups and move your activity horizon from behind you, meaning I'm just playing catch-ups to catch up on everything that was due yesterday and today, to now I'm doing things my future self will thank me for. Now, that can be business-related stuff. I'm doing a bit more planning, a bit more bit strategic thinking, thinking about projects next month that I can start scoping. Or it could be, let's get that family holiday booked in. I'm in this category now. I've got parents who are getting older and I'm starting to have to think about 
right, I've got, to, I've got to think about our life now over the next 20 years and incorporating that. So I need space to be able to think about that sort of stuff. So it's whatever you need your space for so that you're not overwhelmed, out of control and at risk of failing at the important things. No, I love it. And I think the point you said, though, is about the discipline, right? So it's one thing of putting that in there, but then, you know, protecting it fiercely when, you know, someone, if you work for a team and they're like trying to take, oh, but there's this hour here, surely we can just book this meeting in. You know, I used to fall into that trap as a CEO and my sort of assistant, she was amazing at it. I was the worst. I was like, surely we can fit them in. She's like, well, then you won't have that. You know, I always used to use that as headspace time. And interestingly, because I flew so much working in tourism, I was always on planes. That was my best time to actually think and create. And I came up with the best sort of strategic plans for my businesses. Always when I was on a plane, looking out the window, massive kind of, you know, clear space and no, you know, phone calls, emails, no one harassing me. I knew that that was so important, you know, and trying to sort of make sure that I had those sort of times in my diary as well. But it is a discipline, right? Well, it's not so bad. So you've just described, you know, depending on where you were flying to, let's say you were doing from just about from anywhere in Australia is a long haul flight. So let's say you're on a plane for eight hours, let's say, or even longer. If you were doing that, say every fortnight, that might be sufficient for you. If it's a daytime flight, it's not like you're interfering with your sleep, you're not ending up jet, jet lagged and all that sort of stuff. So I say to people, you can do, you know, 1.2 a day, six a week. It's best to have it in chunks. But if, you know, it was a month, it's three days. So if you said I, I would do back-to-back meetings for three weeks and then I take three days off, and I don't mean off as in goof off, it could be I spend a bit of time travelling on planes or whatever and I have my clear space. I'm a bit the same. I used to love getting on a plane because you could daydream. We just don't daydream enough. You know, your question around what do we think we should talk more about, I'd love it if we talked more about daydreaming. It's so important for creative thought, yet We often feel guilty when we have downtime or we try and fill every waking moment with stuff, being productive. And I'm like, nah, I reckon we've got to have time to sit on a plane. So I'm I'm not a fan of the Wi-Fi on airplanes, by the way. I'm like, take that off. I never use it. space. No, never, 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 ever. Because you're also known, you touched on a couple of things there as the, you know, productivity queen. I want to now just use this very selfishly of picking your brain (laughs) and going, how do you be more productive? Because that all obviously leads into if you're more productive, then you have the ability to be more adaptive and, you know, all that kind of capacity, I imagine, kind of just hooks in together. So what are your top tips on um, productivity? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is we lose the word more. I get lots of people say, how can I be more productive? How can I get more done? How can I more, 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 more? I'm like, no, let's stop with more. Look, it's very hard to say Donna McGeorge is a global authority on capacity. No one would even know what that meant. But I'm more about that than I am about productivity. Because I say, if, if, if I was working with a busy executive who, who sat me down and said, hey, I've just got all this stuff on, the first thing I'd say is, what are three things that you can just let go of, that you can stop doing, or you can say not now? So if you are extremely busy, whether this is personal life or professional life, I'd say, you know, what could you just stop? So in our personal life, we, we also take on a lot of stuff. You know, we've, if we've got kids, we might be off at sports all weekend or we, you know, we, we're on some committee or we, you know, on a church group or and there's no, no judgment around any of that. What could you let go of just to give you some space just to be? And so the first thing I say is I look at someone's diary and I say, okay, we're just going to cancel, you know, half of these meetings and people go, I'm like, well, that's, that's how you create space. So your assistant that you talked about before, what a win they were on because it is your headspace time 
no matter who we are, if we're people who are caring for people, whether it's our job or whether it's as parents or whatever we're doing, um, or leaders or managers or whatever, if we don't care for ourselves, and I'm not, most is not about self-care around getting massages and all of that. This is really about caring for our brain and our smarts and our genius, which is what is what helps us be able to be our best selves. So the first thing I'd say is don't think about more. Think about what can I let go of? That's the first thing. The second thing I'd say is there's a great exercise I get people to do every day. I do this every day. It's you grab a pen and paper and you wipe your mind. And so you literally write down everything that's on your mind first thing in the morning and it just empties. It doesn't have to be a to-do list. It's just, so for example, my dad's having cataract surgery. I'd be writing that down. My dog is due to go to the vet. I might just write that down. If I've got to change the batteries in my smoke detectors, I'd write that down as well as, you know, all my work stuff that might be on my mind as well. So we clear all our mind, including all our personal admin, and we just wipe everything until your brain kind of goes, so there's like nothing left in the brain then you know you're done so that would be my first two things is it's not about more it's about doing less and the second thing is wipe our mind so that gives us free space to work with so that's fascinating Donna I've never heard that term before but that just sounds something that actually I think I need regularly so how do you like if you're doing it yourself You literally sit there and just kind of like literally write everything out. Is that sort of what you'd recommend? Absolutely. So it's like it goes, and now some people might be tempted to say, oh, I like to type things down, blah, 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 or type type things into my computer. I'm like, I'm not going to bother citing it all, but there's a gazillion references to research that says that physically writing is better. So it's like it goes out of the brain, down the arm, through the pen, onto the paper, and it clears the mind. I think it was another another global authority in productivity, David Allen, who says that the human mind is for having ideas, not storing them. And so we store so much stuff, which is why, you know, if you're watching the video, it's why people go like this, because they go, I'm just so out of control or whatever, because their head's full, right? And so writing all that stuff down, it just gets out. So there's two times a day that it's useful. Uh, first thing in the morning so that we're clearing our mind and we can help, you know, get stuff organised. And the second time is in the evening before we go to bed so that we don't wake up in the middle of the night with stuff we've forgotten or we can have a better night's sleep because we've written everything down that's on our mind. I love this. To me, you know, things like gratitude journals and, you know, or journaling and all that, I've tried everything (laughs) and none of that works for me. But this sounds so practical and I just like literally had a visual there of you you, when you were explaining that of I can have a little book that is literally just it's wipe the mind book and I can use it in the morning morning and the night. And so writing those things down then, obviously, you know, there would be elements that you'd have to do stuff from some of it, or is it just literally that we're kind of letting it all go? It's entirely up to you. So it's actually based on the work of Julia Cameron, who wrote the book, The Artist's Way. Yeah, Artist's Way. I've done The Artist's Way. I've tried that. <laughs> it didn't work Right. For me. Okay. So I did. And thing it is worked to write three pages, you know, yes. that's the three pages of writing. Right, so this is a bit different. So I did the morning pages as well and you were meant to do for 30 minutes just do a stream of consciousness, right? So yes. I liked that every and day, I did it every day. Every day. For, yep. That was the thing that killed me. Yeah. <laughs> what I like about this is we just write down things that are on our mind and we, if there's nothing on our mind, so the difference between this and Julia Cameron's work is if there was nothing on your mind, she said just keep writing, there's nothing on my mind, there's nothing on my mind, there's nothing on my mind until you've hit the 30 minutes or your three pages. With this is, once you get to the point where you're like, oh, I've got nothing on my mind, you can stop because you've wiped your mind, right? 
And so the first few times you do it, it may take an hour because there's a lot on your mind. But once you get into the habit, it could only take you five minutes to do it. Having said that, a couple of things to watch out for. So yes, tasks will come up on it. So whatever your system is, and that's the next thing I'd say, is you have to have a system for managing your work. None of us are smart enough to remember everything in our heads. And why would you hold it in your head anyway? We've just had that conversation. So you need some kind of system to manage what it is you need to do. So some stuff will just go straight into that. You'll just transpose it over. And anything that's on your mind that just keeps coming up. So if me worried about my dad just kept coming up day after day after day, then that's a sign to me I've got to go do something about that. So I've either got to jump on the phone, go visit him, whatever it might be. So there's something that just a worry that just keeps coming up on your list, then you might just, you might need some attention because until it gets whatever attention it needs, it'll stay in your head. But look, I'm not a psychologist. Could take 10 years of therapy to unravel some things that are on your mind. I'm not going to go there. But it's just be mindful that if something just keeps coming up on your list day after day, it's telling you that it needs some attention. Yeah, but it's probably a really good pointer as well. Like as you say, you're thinking about stuff, but you're not realizing how much time you are thinking about it. It's using capacity, right? It's fabulous. Yeah, Yeah, it's a really good tool. But I just love the simplicity of it, Donna. I think that's probably what appeals to me because I'm such a pragmatic, practical get shit done kind of girl. So the writing of the three pages with the Julia Cameron, you know, stuff was just not me. It just didn't work for me. But writing a list of just points that are short form, actually that really appeals to me. So um, I'm going to try this tonight. I'm going to see uh, immediately. I think this is something that could really help me myself in terms of my own productivity. And then, you know, leading into that, obviously about the capacity. So it's, you know, what, what next? So you've got the list, you're doing it, you're identifying the points that are, you know, that are coming up regularly. What other kind of elements that people can use that then make them have, you know, increased capacity or more effective, I guess? So I guess it depends if you're someone that has a schedule, a calendar and appointments and all that sort of stuff, you have to start being in control of that. You have to be the boss of your calendar because too often we let our calendar be the boss of us and we let other people. So I hear this all the time, Donna, I protected my 1.2 hours or my whatever, but people just kept booking things over the top of it. And I'm like, no, they didn't. (laughs) You just let them, right? You let them book stuff over the top of it. It's not that they did it. You let them do it, right? (laughs) It just sounds very funny. Doesn't, it does. So that you need to say that back to them. <laughs> I know. How so stupid so that many sounds. things sound yeah. stupid, right? I, I, yeah, one of my yeah. new things I'm saying to people is every time you say the word busy, I want you to say in your head that you're lazy. I'm too busy for that. No, no, tell them you're too lazy for that. And it's like you see people go, oh, I can't say that. Well, that's kind of what you're saying. And when people say, I don't have time, I say, change that in your head. It's not a priority. I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't prioritize my health. Right. So it's funny when you play stuff back to people, how crazy it sounds. So you're absolutely right. You are the boss of your calendar. No one books things over top. No one overbooks your calendar. You know, I have some people say, I wish people would check my calendar first before they book things. I'm like, no one's got time for that. It's on you to say no. Just say no. I think sometimes there's an assumption of unreasonableness in others. So I get a meeting request and it may be someone more senior to me potentially or a really important client or something like that and we assume I have to say yes. Now I call that an assumption of unreasonableness because we're assuming that that person is so unreasonable that if I said actually I've got something else on at that time, can we do it a bit later or can I do it tomorrow, can we do it earlier, that we're assuming that they'll say no and be unreasonable whereas I've got to tell you nine times out of ten the answer is going to be sure. 
And one in 10 might be, well, actually, there's six other people. They're all available. You're the only one. Okay, now I'll apply a bit of flexibility to my world. But I think an assumption of reasonableness that it's okay to check first because the, the flip side of it is resentment, right? You look at your diary and you get all grumpy and resentful because everyone's taking up all your time. And it's like, no, you get to say who you, who you say, when you say how much, you get to choose. So I'm always going to say you want to protect time. I, I love the last hour of the day. Hardly anyone wants to do a meeting from four o'clock in the afternoon. So it should be pretty easy to protect. And that hour of power you do in the late afternoon so sets you up for the next day. And it can be anything from, you know, I, I always review my, so I did it last night, even though it was Sunday night, was the night before we were doing this recording. But I still checked, what have I got on tomorrow? Is there anything I need to prep? I'd already done prep for the several things I'd had done on Friday, but I still do it just in case there's something that might have slipped. Then I think about what else I've got on for the week. I might look up routes that I need to go. If I'm driving somewhere, where's the parking nearby? What am I going to wear? I try to make in that afternoon all the decisions so I'm not running around like a crazy person trying to find a parking spot. Now I'm running late and now I'm stuck in traffic and blah, 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 blah. So that hour of power, I actually think that's the key to daily success is the day before. Mm, Yeah, I was always a big advocate of that sort of setting up my day you know that kind of night and the other kind of element I found was always just clearing my desk at the end of the evening doesn't matter how late I was still in the office and doing stuff and just even at home here you know now that we sort of most of us have home offices it's having a clear space you know even if there was you know in the days of multiple paperwork and ton of stuff that you'd have on your desk coming in at the first start of the morning having a clear desk in a clean day to begin with just used to make such a difference versus coming in with a you know shit show that was left the night before oh (laughs) completely so con mari in your desk at the end of the day tidiness I do the same thing I have a clean desk policy even though it's at home no one's going to dob me in if I don't but I like to have a cup of tea so it's a bit of a ritual because it also shuts me down this is really important for anyone that does work from home is some kind of ritual that says my work day has ended and it's my finished. personal yeah. time is starting. So for me, it's go in and I wash my teacup and I turn my computers off and I give my desk just a bit of a wipe and now it's all set. And if I am, as you can see, or you may not be able to see, but just behind me over here, I've got a big studio set up that's on wheels. And if I'm doing a big webinar or a speech or something, I get that all set up the night before. So when I come down, I literally just turn everything on and I don't have any wasted energy. And so the thing we're doing here is we're reducing decision fatigue. And so if I'm making a bunch of decisions the night before, so I don't have to make them the next morning, just means my head is clearer throughout the day. So if anyone is listening that has kids, many have probably been through, to use your term, the shit show that's in the morning when one of them suddenly says, hey, mum, I meant to have a scale model of the solar system project due in today and now we're running around trying to find bloody polystyrene balls of different sizes and paint them and stick them on coat hangers. Um, We've all had a version of something like that. And so the night before stuff is absolutely critical. I love easing into the day as opposed yeah. to hitting the day hard, right? A hard start. I love an ease into the 
into the morning. Oh, beautiful. Donna, I could talk to you for ages about all these tips and tricks. It's just fabulous. (laughs) It's wonderful. Thank you so much. But um, adaptive capacity is such a a new term that I've learned today, but such interesting, you know, insights and really appreciate you chatting with us today. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure, Michelle. And I do think we could yak for hours, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Be a delight. All right. Well, you have a beautiful day ahead. With lots of capacity and, uh, you know, productive things. Thank you. (laughs) Speak soon. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.